Welcome to Hallel Fellowship, found on the internet at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. We hope you are encouraged by the following recorded Bible study to look deeper into every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and how they were lived out in the life of Yeshua HaMashiach, often called Jesus the Christ. What we're taking a look at here today at the first day of Unleavened Bread is really what Unleavened Bread is really all about. And now we've seen a whole lot of different passages from all across Scripture talking about Unleavened Bread. And it is a mystery until you really can see the Apostle Paul brings out a very good chunk piece of looking at what Unleavened Bread is all about. What do you get out? Malice and wickedness. What do you get in? Sincerity and truth. And then you see also in the passage there from the Gospels about what Messiah was talking about, the leaven of the Pharisees and the scribes. Yes, uh, Sean. You know, I just, in the passage I was reading, just the, the whole murder behind the plot and the planning the premeditating i mean all of that was just woo, pretty yes intense. That's yes why so when you when you talk about the malice and yeah. wickedness yeah. yeah one is what is one of the key things that we have as a determinant and even in modern u.s law for determining what severity of murder is it whether there is malice Malice of forethought, as the, the, the big term for it is there, is how much malice went into it and then how much planning went into it. So that is a huge determinant. And uh, we actually had a conversation yesterday just after um, Pesach there and talking about a key passage when you talk about malice building within you, that passage there from Genesis right at the beginning. And you see that Cain talked about, hey, the Lord comes to him, says, hey, why is your countenance fallen? If you do good, don't you think your offering would be accepted? But what is lurking? Sin is lurking at your door. It wants to have you, but you can master it. What are you going to open the door to? Do you What's, uh, it's very interesting when you think about things at the door and knocking, because what is it that Yeshua says? I stand at the door and knock, and if you open the door, I will come in and dwell with you. So the question is, is what do we want to dwell with us? Do we want the kingdom of God to dwell within us, or do we want the kingdom of malice and wickedness to come and dwell with us? So in some of the passages that we, we looked at here uh, today, in Exodus chapter 12, we're looking at the, the 10th plague and the instructions for Pesach and Matzot. And then in Numbers, we got more of these instructions about some of the special offerings involved to be brought in each of the seven days. And then in Joshua, we looked at the, when the first Pesach was actually celebrated in the land. You had the first one that was celebrated <laughs> in getting out of a land, and then the first one celebrated getting into a land. So 
out of a land into a land. So out of the house of bondage into the land of rest. And that is a key part of what the land is all about. Because it's great you were promised to have a land, a, a destination, where you want to go. But great, what do you do when you get there? Is it just like a vacation spot? You just go in there and you go, okay, well, I can check that off my list. I've been there. Well, if it's just a destination, just like any other destination, then you can just go somewhere else. But what is it that's special about that particular destination, what we call the promised land? Because that is where you see the Lord putting his name to start a center, to expand outward. And when you see the dimensions of it, down in the book of Revelation, it is gigantic. It spans a huge area over lots of different nations that are there currently. So it is to be the center of something that starts and grows bigger and encompasses the nations. When we get down to the other end of the year, in the seventh month of Israel's calendar, we celebrate this great opening of the house of God to all nations to invite them in. We saw in our passage we looked at here today, who went out with Israel? The mixed multitude went out with them. Those that uh, latched onto and said, attached themselves. They were like you would see later on with <laughs> the Rahab there at Jericho. Just right after, soon after the passage we just read here of where they arrived. They arrived there at the city. And she decided that she would say, your God will be my God. Just like later on, Ruth would say, your God will be my God, coming out of uh, Moab. And then we also saw in there in Matthew chapter 16, the passage there about beware of the leavening and that talking about an actual the teachings what it is that they were promoting and in first corinthians we saw then the passage where the apostle paul is bringing this together to say hey this is really at what the core of m11 bread is all about now very interestingly when we get to this part in the torah cycle uh, where you have Passover falling, you often have it coming here at the beginning part of the book of Vayikra, or otherwise known as Leviticus. And what is it that we learn in those first two passages of Vayikra? What do we learn about the, we call them the korban, the offerings, the korbanots, the, the things that approach and what do they approach? They approach the presence of God. These are the things that come in. And we read about them at the beginning of our service here today, about these particular offerings. And Leviticus 23 talks about these, that these are the appointed times of the Lord. And then you bring these particular offerings. You bring the Olah offering, the thing that goes up. You bring and it's a key part of what we're celebrating here today, 
the mincha offering. Now that is very interesting aspect to that because what is the mincha offering? Unleavened cakes. Very interesting aspect to that. No yeast. Now, a very interesting aspect of what we're looking about is when we approach the presence of God, what must change? Everything. We must change. We must change as we go in towards the presence of God. That is because he is other. He is kadashed. He is made separate from us. He is of a different realm. He is the creator of heaven and earth. We are the creation that he has created. So one of the things that is a part of the lesson and the object lesson of the tabernacle is the areas of kadosh, the areas of holiness, the things that are separate. Now, it is not the lesson, hey, you, you worm, stay out there and rot and burn because I will just dwell in here and you can go uh, live your life and then go off and smoke. It is no, I am going to plant, the, you have the creator of heaven and earth, says, I want to dwell in the midst of you. I want to dwell in the midst of you. Because he says, he took them out of the house of bondage to the mountain. And then when they meet at the mountain, take what they had from the mountain. What are the things that were given to Israel at the mountain? Okay, you've got the, the, the big 10, the 10 commandments, those tablets. And then the replacement tablets. And also something very important. What did Moshe see during those days up on the mountain? The pattern. He saw the presence. And then he was given the pattern for the dwelling place of the Lord. So that this is, okay, you've come to the mountain to where the Lord came and made his presence known. But then this presence that was there on the mountain would be going with the people, would be going with them. And in a, you know, just like with the mountain, with its boundaries around it, that people couldn't just willy-nilly go on a, a mountain climbing up Mount Sinai, so too, with the Mishkan, the tabernacle, they could not just waltz in to where the dwelling place of God was. It had boundaries around it, the courtyard and the inner, the holy place, and then the most holy place, boundaries, 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 uh, toward where the presence of God is. So one of these things, just like with the Minchal offering, you actually have a situation where the people are coming out of the house of bondage. And they, one of the things that's mentioned is that you are not allowing the, the bread to rise. But even more simple than that, you see it also mentioned with the issue of circumcision. What does circumcision and unleavened bread have to do with each other, especially in the context of the exodus? 
We just read about that in Joshua. What does circumcision have to do with? It's about, yes, rolling away is basically hitting the reset button for what was there before. It says rolling away the reproach of Mitzrayim. And also, one of the, the things uh, that people can put forward this, this time of year is about the affinity of um, the say more advanced cultures of the time period in coming up with greater ways of dealing with, with bread. And one of the ideas of leavening is sometimes attributed to the civilizations either of Egypt, also of the Hittite Empire, but especially Egypt, since we've got surviving recipes for beer, and that idea of fermentation. So if you are coming from the land of beer, not only the land of bondage, but the land of beer, and now we're saying, okay, you want to separate yourself from the things that have gone sour. Just like rolling back the reproach of Egypt, you roll back the, your attachment to the things that soured you, that puffed you up, the malice, the wickedness that filled within and during the time of the land of Mitzrayim with its pantheon of various gods. So you have the detox period coming out coming out of the house of bondage to the mountain of freedom and then on to the land of freedom and to the land of rest. That, that whole period is a separating, a leaving behind of the ways that were of old. So it is no surprise then that you see a lot of the language in the Bible related to our new way of life is like the experience of Israel in its journey from the house of bondage to the land of freedom. It is going from your old self to your new self. The old self had to die. Just like that first generation that did not want to trust the Lord and to go in and take it. And you might have noticed when the passages we just read that what did they specifically mention who died in that first generation? Yes. For every day they were in, in the land, they would have to stay in the wilderness for 40 years. So, but they specifically mentioned those of military age. Now think about that. When we are, go through the Torah again, we get into numbers, and it talks about that experience there of the spies going into the land. Okay, they come back and they deliver the report. Go in, the Lord is with you. Because the Lord is going to fight for you. But who would be going in to fight with the Lord? The Lord being the leader. And who would be actually doing that? The men over 20. So 
those that decided to side with the 10 spies and said, nope, can't do it. Even though the Lord said they're going to fight for us. They specifically said, okay, you don't think that when the Lord is fighting for you, that you can do this? That has to stay behind. And those that said, yes, we could do this, you move forward. So when we look at this particular experience of sucking out the malice, the wickedness, the things that corrupt, specifically from the land of Mitzrayim, the land of bondage, and then going into the land of freedom, that is a particular aspect to look at is our old self, the new self. The old self must die. The new self is brought through and not coincidentally at all, what is it that the new self is delivered through? The blood. We just read about that during the Passover. Those that left Egypt, who truly left Egypt, not that just physically left Egypt, but they left Egypt behind and trusted the one who was taking them out. That trusting in that blood that delivered, delivered that same one who delivered them out of the land of bondage, delivered them in to the land of freedom. So that is a, a really important aspect because when we look at, we, we talk, okay, this is a Hag Pesach, or the festival of Pesach. Now, one of the things that comes with the word Hag is it really relates to a rehearsal period. It's not just a pilgrimage, because it's used to refer to a pilgrimage. But when you start peeling back the layers of it, you start to see that this is, has terminology of the root verb of it, Hagag, that of where we get Hag from in Hebrew, which means translated as festival. It is used to also refer to people who are just kind of moving around in sort of like a circle, whether <laughs> you're doing so willingly or through some sort of substance, but it is something that you are moving in a circle. And that form of it comes into where we get the idea that the festivals are a time of going in a cycle, going around. Now, the question is, if we're going round and round, what do we actually learn? Remember what happened with the journeys of the people of Israel? It's like around the mountain. Like, okay, it's time to stop going around in circles. Now it's time to move forward. So we, each of us in life, when we go around the cycles of these festivals, they're all part of a chain, one to the other, to the other, to the other, and then back around again. When we come back around again and we look at where we were last year, five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, where is it that we have come? Are we still like Israel 
doing donuts out in the desert. Or talking about donuts during matzot is probably a strange thing to do, but going in circles. Are we never actually progressing when we get back around to take another look at where we were before? Or are we moving forward? Now, we know that when we talk about the old self and the new self, each one of us, when we're moving from the old self to the new self, we look and we say, do I still see the old self anymore? When you come back around, do you still see the old self that continues to have its baggage loaded with the house of bondage and it keeps dragging it along, dragging it along? Do we actually let it go? Yes, uh, Piran, you have a comment or a question over there. I do. Um, the circle is also a Hebraic paradigm. Yes. Where you get the seasons repeating. Correct. And you get a do-over. And so mm. every year you can reevaluate. That's right. Do Come over. back around. So you're never left out of the circle. That's right. So that's the... The interesting aspect of it is you are going to come around and see the same cycles again. But are you exactly the same as you were the last time you went around it? That's what the whole point of it is, is to go around and up. Yes, to go around and then go up. That's a very, that's a very good way to put it, to go around yet move upward. Yes, so you're actually growing. And it's very uh, interesting that you point that out because uh, that's something curious about the way that God has, has created things. You know, if you ever watch a time-lapse video of plants when they grow, what do they do when they grow? Yes, they grow. A lot of them will grow around in a circle. And it's very interesting how that is. And people wonder, why is it that you do that? And it's a very interesting thing is, is that as the plants are growing, they, trees do this, is that they are supporting themselves. As they go around, they're building internal supports. We call it cellulose in there, but they're building internal structures so that when they're going this way or going that way or going this way or that way, they're building structures to support themselves and going around and around and around. So, yes, and they're also following, following the sunlight. So if you, if you <laughs> trick plants into having just a light source in one particular direction, they'll grow off into a given, given direction. But it is quite interesting that as they grow, even if they're growing in some sort of weird direction, that they will grow supports to support themselves, like with trees. And the trees in their root system uh, will grow to counterbalance. It's just marvelous how the Lord created the tree. When you think, oh, the tree has no brain. But the way that the Lord built the tree was to grow so that when, hey, the, there's more weight going in this direction, the root system will grow in the corresponding direction to support it. So we, it's a great, Christopher brought up that illustration there of growing in a circle yet moving upward, is that if we don't ever grow past where we, where we start, what do we call that kind of growth for a plant? 
stunted, stunted growth. And what does stunted growth commonly tell you with plants? Something's wrong. You know, like I, I grew up in Alaska, and there's areas of, they call it the taiga, and there are areas of places where the permafrost is. And the trees are all tiny and skinny, even though they're very old trees. But the nutrition there is just terrible and, you know, waterlogged, et cetera. So, yes, uh, I, I'm sorry, uh, first uh, Rose and then Tammy. Well, I just had an example that I have a, a plant that I didn't want to get uh, frostbitten, so I put it in the garage on a table. And uh, as it was regrowing this spring, uh, it, it was all tilted to where the sunlight was coming in through the window of the garage. So all the, all the plants were like all bent over towards the sun. So it, it's true, they do uh, follow the sunlight. Yes. So they do, they do circle. Yeah, quite interesting, yes. And uh, Tammy over there. Well, the sad thing that you're saying about the trees also applies to people. Um, you think about the most starkest example of this is probably Korea, the peninsula of Korea. In North Korea, the average man is probably five foot four. The average man in South Korea is probably five foot nine. And so, um, and that's just nutrition, access to food, access to you know, clean food, clean water, sunlight, all those basic things. So it's the same thing with human beings as it is with the trees. Yeah. So that when we're looking at the meaning of matzah, you have it as a reminder about leaving the place of bondage quickly leaving it do not look back just move out forward because you're you're being you're, the bondage that is holding you back is broken now if you also for those of us freed from bondage to some sort of particular malice or wickedness one of the things that we should take a lesson for is when we are freed to leave quickly from that malice or wickedness. Yes, uh, Benaniah. We do not want to end up like Lot's wife. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, don't, don't look back when you're being delivered. And that's, that's a, a great little microcosm of what you see happen later on with Israel's journey out. You see it recorded in there about you know, dreaming of the, the meats that they had back in Mitzrayim, about the various vegetables that they had back in Mitzrayim. Everything was better back in Mitzrayim, except for those chains, the bondage, the forced labor. Yes, except for that. Yes. So that lesson of when you get out, get out quickly. But you also have this matzah in the tabernacle, and we talked about this in the mincha offering. But as we go through and we start this cycle, or in the days of, of moving toward Pentecost, toward Shavuot, the 50 days, are going to be beginning that here with the next day, uh, beginning this evening, and starting into the count towards Shavuot. Now, one of the things that we talk about during that time period is that you start out with the 50 days 
and it begins with unleavened bread, but then at the end, you have the leavened bread presented at the front part of the tabernacle. And a lot of people have come up with various ideas on what the leaven loaves are, and we'll talk more about that when we get to the time of Pentecost towards Shavuot. But it is perhaps somewhat analogous to what we see coming in down at the latter part of the year. The latter part of the year, where you have the picture of the 70 bulls of Sukkot, of tabernacles, and picturing an outpouring and an opening of the kingdom of God to the nations. Those that, who want to, to go up to the house of the Lord are invited to go up to the house of the Lord. So that is, a, is an interesting picture. But like we learn through the tabernacle, is that the nations invited to the house of God, but whether you have grown up around the Torah or you are new to the Torah, every one of us have to be transformed when we get towards the presence of God before we go further on. Just like with the, with the letter to the Hebrews states there in chapter 9, the way through the veil is opened, but only through the blood of the Mashiach. Only one way to go in. So, thus, leaven is a picture, as we see in the Messiah's teaching, of this, this lesson of um, corruption but corruption of our own, our own sense of who we think we are in the house of God. Because one of the things that the Messiah brought up in this Matthew chapter 16 that we just read through is that Messiah says, did you not understand the lesson of the feeding the 5,000, and then the feeding of the 4,000, and with the feeding of the 5,000, and how many baskets were picked up? 12. And then the feeding of the 4,000 over across the lake, and how many baskets were picked up? Seven. And the very interesting picture is, is that the same as it is for the native-born so too for the mixed multitude coming in to the kingdom of God. The native-born, the people who grow up around, had a front-row seat on the Lord's revelation through Israel. You get the front-row seat, but every one of us has the overflow of bounty from the bread from heaven, and there's enough for all of Israel in that. But also those who come in from the nations, pictured there with the feeding of the 4,000, that overflow also fills up seven baskets. It's enough for the 70 nations. It's enough for all the nations. This is not a clique where it's a special secret handshake. No, the, the blessings, the bread that came down from heaven is 
enough for the native born to Israel, got the front row seat, grew up around it, and for those who come to, who are called to. All of us are called to the kingdom of God. And that blessing goes in for all of us. But all of us, when we go in further towards the presence of God, we must be transformed. As we go in and uh, we, (coughs) excuse me, So, um, getting to what the Apostle Paul was talking about with the malice and wickedness, just looking at those in particular a little bit, what is translated there as, as um, wickedness is ponera, as it is in Greek. And in the Septuagint, this word ponera is used to translate the Hebrew word of ra'ah, which is usually translated as uh, evil. Or, and the Greek word that's used to translate malice is kakia, and kakia is used in the, in the, in the Septuagint to also refer to ra'ah, but you see that the specific examples together of ra'ah and ra, bad and, <laughs> and uh, wickedness, you see that these are particular grades and degrees. Malice leading to wickedness. Something lurking at your door versus you let it in and it takes over. Yeshua told the parable of Uh, It's always illustrative of both with the spiritual condition that can happen with someone who does not deal with the problems that started the slide toward wickedness. He tells the parable of the man who has the unclean spirit in his house. And he goes and he throws that one out and sweeps the house clean. But then that unclean spirit goes and finds seven others worse than himself. And then they come in and they occupy the place. And the ending condition was worse than when it started. So one of the aspects that we always have to look at is that when we are dealing with whatever issue had us in the land of bondage, our own house of bondage. When we deal with that, don't leave just a void. You have to fill it up with something. Because if you don't fill it up with something, then something worse is going to come in and occupy it. So thus, you see when we talk about Passover time, and you see it, specifically recorded in the Gospel of John in chapters 13 through 17. And you see that Yeshua says, I must go so that the spirits could be sent. The Comforter, the Mashiach, must go so that the Comforter, the Spirit of God, can come. So that you are filled up with something. 
because we we see what is happening here in this particular world um they one of the most shocking sort of things was been revealed here in just the past week or so uh, a a poll that they've been doing of the american population for decades and just in the past four years the level of attachment towards the things of god has plummeted just absolutely plummeted the things that people hold on to as things that are rock solid plummeted but your desire to have money has increased which is very interesting because it's also happening at a time when the stability of money is also getting shakier. So when you think about that to what Yeshua's parable is all about, if you take and you throw out what was inside, now in that case, throwing out an unclean spirit, so you don't fill it with something good, what is left in there? but the other things of the world that will just sweep in like a flood and fill it so that the ending condition is worse than when you started. Oh, yes, uh, Christine. I, I, I guess I keep going back to the spirits of God, the mm, seven yes. spirits of mm -hmm. God and how they continue to build on top and build on top and... Finally, for Yerat Adonai, right? The reverence, the fear and the reverence, which is outlined in Isaiah. And then I think about the seven spirits, no six, no seven, of the wicked lamp, right? Yes. And, and how it continues to build and build until its final manifestation is the separation of, of brothers. So, yes. yeah, it's not just filling it with the spirit. It's like building all seven of the spirits of Adonai and developing and learning and walking in yes. those. Yeah. Very cool. Yes, because when, you know, the Apostle Paul talks about spiritual things being spiritually discerned, if you do not, you know, really latch onto, and as the Torah talks about, cleave to, cling on to the Lord and say, I want your kingdom transform me with the new covenant the promise there in jeremiah is for what a new heart and to put a new spirit spirit of the lord within so just like when you see with the prophets when it talks about the word of the lord came to the word of the lord came to the spirit of the lord came to that's not a coincidence or just a throwaway phrase that you see in the bible is that those who truly wanted to have the word of the Lord, the spirit of the Lord, they welcomed it in. Those that didn't want it, it was not a welcome visitor because it said the word of the Lord would come to a prophet and then the prophet would go to usually the king and say something the king didn't want to hear. So what then ended up happening to a lot of the prophets? They killed them. 
Yes. Tortured him. Yeah. Did not, did not like them. So. <laughs> yes. It's best, to, best to cling on to God. Yes. Uh, yes, Larry, go ahead. Uh, that sounds like, though, also this parables about the old wineskin and the new wine that they couldn't, they couldn't, the new wine was poured in and the old wine since couldn't contain it, it broke. Yes. So, I mean, what is it that you have? Do you have an old, and another, another illustration you see from the Bible is the, the old leaky cistern versus the good cistern. If you have a leaky cistern and you start pouring water into it, what's going to happen? You're going to lose the water that you that goes into it. It's going to go out. Another parable that is on a similar topic is a good one we all know, and that's the parable of the sower. And you have the different types of ground. And you see like the hard grounds, like the highway, what happens when the seed, the word of God, is then put out and sown onto the hard ground? It gets picked off easily. Because the ground is hard, does not receive it with joy. But the key thing is you see with the parable is that just receiving the word with joy is a starting point, but it better not be an ending point. Because you see what happens with the rocky ground. The word gets planted and starts growing, but then it hits a point where the roots can't go anymore. It's, and you see any sort of adversity come, and it starts to die. That which was planted starts to die. Or when you have the, the thorns, the weeds start growing up around it, they choke it off. There are other things competing for your soil, so to speak. But just like what we have out in the Russian River, where you've got very deep very deep soil that goes down a long way. A lot of those people out in that, in that Appalachian dry farm, because why? You have a very deep water table where the roots can go down, 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 down. So they can go through an entire growing season just from the water that started out the growing season as it started. So that's quite illustration See, a lot of illustrations related to grapevines throughout the Bible is that for the vineyard that the Lord has planted, what is the root system like? What soil type is it in? And is it just shallow or is it deep? So with that a passage that we see related to um, this aspect of malice and wickedness. We'll end with this particular passage here in Romans chapter 1, verses 28 through 32. And just as they did not see it fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do the things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, they are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, 
inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. So when we talk about the leaven of the Padrashim, the Pharisees, their name, the Padrashim, means the separate ones, the ones that have uh, put a dividing line in. Now, the question is, is that when you are dividing yourself off, what are you dividing yourself from? And one of the key problems among the Pedrashim were those there it was not a monolith. It was not like just all of the Pedrashim were all just people that were plotting for the death of Yeshua. There were a number of the Pedrashim who realized, hey, there's something going on here and they wanted to learn more. But the question is, is that when you're separating yourselves, what are you separating yourselves from? Some of those recognized, hey, maybe God is actually working here to keep their mind open. You see in the book of Acts that Gamaliel, Paul's teacher, left that door open. Hey, maybe God is actually working here. So when they are separating themselves from it, they said, we don't want to separate ourselves from the work of God here, so let's, maybe this is something that the Lord is actually doing. So when you have this particular lesson of separating yourselves, one of the problems of that leaven, that malice, the wickedness that came out against the work of God through the Mashiach, is that... They were separating themselves from the actual work of God. They thought they were separating themselves from the world because there was a good lesson for that. The exiles, both to Assyria and to Babylon, started because they didn't separate themselves from the nations around them. They brought all that stuff in, they mixed it all around, made themselves a nice little uh, syncretic smoothie and just gulped it down. And you could see the, the result of that with some terrible things like you read in the book of Ezekiel, what they turned the temple into and what they were doing in the temple because they just brought everything in and mixed it all up and didn't separate themselves. So post-exile... You see in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, hey, that lesson was learned. <laughs> You've got to uh, be careful about the uh, things that you are just letting in and separating and not separating yourself from that. But sometimes the lesson learned too well in that you end up separating yourselves from the actual work of God. Uh, yes, Deborah, yeah, go ahead, uh, please. You know, when you were talking about that, about the temple, um, they're, that generation and Christ's generation is pretty profound. They're going to, you know, when we're all together, they're going to be, they're going to suffer the consequences. All the blood is going to be on them. You know, that's, that's pretty big. It said all the blood from Abel will be, that gener it said this generation will be held accountable from Abel up until then. That's not true? It is written. It says it in the Word of God. Yeah. Well, there's there's a lot of generations like that. Yes. Yes. 
So that generation in particular made a decision, and we'll see that on the day of the Lord in the book of Revelation, that the generation too will be making quite the decision. So when we say, okay, we don't want that, we don't want the malice, the wickedness, but the sincerity, the truth, the sincerity, the shalom, because shalom Shalom doesn't just mean peace in the sense of, hey, we are stopping our shooting so we can reload. No, that means that we're reaching a contentment of well-being. That's what shalom is. That's why you have it associated with the land of rest. That rest is not just, okay, I'm going to just kick back and take a nap. It is you are in a place where you are at home and you are fully complete. And a, a corollary to that with shalom is also tamim, which is something that's um, said to be perfect. Described sacrifices are referred to be tamim, but also you see it referred to in the Apostle Yaakov in the first chapter of the letter to James. And he talks about being mature and complete lacking nothing that completeness is a very close corollary to shalom and tamim where you are at contentment you are at peace you are at home no matter what is going on around you and that shalom and that sincerity that we call it in today's parlance transparency you are not wearing a mask anymore. You're not trying to fool God into thinking, just like we were talking about Ezekiel earlier, you saw the lack of sincerity of the ministers of God in that sense. They were filling the roles that was spelled out in the Torah of what a priest should be doing, but what were they actually doing? Where was their heart actually? Their hearts, as is revealed with the prophecy there in Ezekiel, was with all of the detestable things that they had filled the temple of God with. That's what was in their heart. And that picture of the prophet clawing through the wall, <laughs> just basically taking a look inside to see what was in, in the hearts of the leadership of the people at that point, to see, no, they may, they may look like they're on duty being ministers of God, but inside, no. And that is a real key lesson to us about sincerity that we, like back in the garden, we have nothing to hide anymore. We're not look looking to hide ourselves, to cover ourselves, thinking that the Lord has no clue what's going on inside of us. And the Lord knows exactly what's going inside of us. Rather, we should be like the psalmist who's saying, you know, hey, examine me, test me, find out everything about me, and then lead me onto the ways of everlasting so that the end result for us is when we get to the land, when we get to the place of rest, we want to be there and we want to stay there. Because it feels like home. We are at Shalom. 
We are at tamim, there. So when you see in the letter to Hebrews when it says, enter, enter my rest, and then points to the way in and the one who brings rest in Messiah Yeshua, that that is where we feel like we are at home. There's not the mask that we wear when we're doing, quote, holy things, unquote. Then we take that one off and, whew, glad that's done, and then go on with life. The lesson of unleavened bread, just like with the tabernacle in the midst of the people, is that this is a part of a transformation where there will be a time, just like we read about in the prophets and we read about in Revelation, where the dwelling place of God will be with mankind. And there will no longer be a temple there anymore, no longer any walls around the outside, because everyone will be then invited into the dwelling place of where God is. But just like the lesson of the tabernacle, we must be transformed in the process. You've been listening to a discussion at Hallel Fellowship. If you would like to hear more discussions or if you have any questions, visit the website at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. Hallel.info. Hallel.info.